Welcome to Two Guys in the Bible. My name is Eric Mufold, and I am joined via Zoom with my brother, Dylan Keniston. Dylan, how are you doing this fine evening? I'm doing quite well, brother man. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm in my basement. I'm uh, attached to my computer. and Quarantined. Well, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> not, not anymore. Um, yeah, rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Greatly exaggerated, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, uh, for those who, who might not be familiar, who are listening, I, I had been exposed to a coronavirus, uh, a person who had, been tested, who had been confirmed positive with the virus, co-worker of mine, but uh, uh, out of uh, an abundance of caution, I was quarantined to my basement for basically like a week. And uh, my wife put food under the door and occasionally uh, sent down water. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it worked out. I'm just picturing like, I'm picturing like a bucket that she puts down <laughs> that like, that shoot, you know, in the that's wall right. and kind of like. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's, yeah it was kind of funny. But uh, turns out uh, I was negative on the test. So praise, praise, the Lord, man. praise the Lord for that. I mean. Had a lot of alone time there, so that was, uh, and my wife is awesome for, for handling uh, basically the entire household and keeping the ki- kids from, from killing each other while I was uh, uh, powerless to do anything about it down here in the basement, you know. So anyways, that being said, I am free, but I'm back in my basement to, to record. Um, you know, it's just a unique situation. We're uh, doing a, uh, our first recording just the two of us via Zoom. So, um, and we're going to be talking about, I guess, what everyone else and their grandmother is going to be talking about, which is this uh, pandemic and this virus. But, you know, we're not here to do <clears throat> political, economic discussion. We save that for the, the talking heads on the cable news networks and many other podcasts are going on. Um, and for when we're not recording. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 yeah, that's true. And from we're not recording. And I would say there's probably a time for those kinds of discussions when this is all over. There will be a time to, you know, in the military we would call a debriefing. So we would, you know, we brief before we take action, then we do the mission, and then we talk about it uh, when we're done. And sometimes, you know, even in the middle of flying, you know, flying a combat mission, things get a little hairy, or something happens, and even if the instructor doesn't agree with it. Uh, you know, we'll, he'll say something like, you know, we'll, we'll talk it and talk about it in the debrief. So don't let it, don't let it distract from what's going on right now. We'll talk about it later. But that being said, there are a couple of things we could probably talk about now as Christians. And, you know, this is two guys in a Bible and we appreciate uh, you guys, uh, our listeners supporting us. Um, if you guys uh, want to take a look at our website, go to two guys in the Bible.org. And by all means, submit any questions that you have, and maybe this episode will cause you to have some questions. But we're going to try to talk about the topic of how Christians uh, approach, I guess we could say, suffering in a large sense, but also specifically, how do we understand this pandemic? Like, how, how should we approach this topic of a, a disease, a virus that has impacted an entire well, the world, of course, but also our specific country slash society. So, you know, and how do we uh, <clears throat> go about 
sharing our thoughts with others? How do we as Christians, you know, go to our neighbor or go to our coworker or friend or family member who might not be a Christian? And how do we <clears throat> explain things to them? Is that a, you think a fair topic for us to tackle today there, Dylan? You think we can handle that? Let's hit it. Okay. All right. Well, with the Lord's help. Yes. Hmm. Very true. And I, 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 we will get into a lot of different uh, passages of scripture, I'm sure today, but this relates to what we talked about the last two episodes. The first, uh, a couple weeks ago, I did an episode on, on God's judgment, uh, namely talking about God using natural disasters, floods, diseases, famines, things like that to bring judgment upon uh, the world, people of Israel to discipline them. Uh, to punish the Egyptians, and you know, looking through all of Scripture about how God uses those things. And then, last episode, you and I talked about um, God, uh, 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 a kind of releasing the reins, if you will, or removing restraint, and how a lot of times God's judgment is actually letting people just go headlong into sin, headlong into idolatry, uh, and letting them just go down that downward spiral to destruction. <clears throat> excuse me so uh today i guess that relates to today because we're going to be talking about uh you know how to approach suffering is it judgment is it not um how sh- what kind of conclusions should we draw from this um and so i guess i wanted to first start off the topic because a lot of non-christians would probably maybe ridicule us or or i don't know raise a couple eyebrows if we even mention the concept that god could be overall sovereign or controlling something you know a lot of times we get accused of the well you can't explain anything so you just say that you know god did it right it's a god of the gaps kind of thing but we're christians we, we believe the bible we believe that god is actually in control over all things i think that doesn't really need to be um, uh, defended too uh, with with too much difficulty because I mean even Jesus himself said that you know the Father uh, not it's not a single sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing and or ordaining it and every hair of our head is numbered right He knows the day and the hour upon which we will die so nothing is is unknown to God and everything is in His hands and is under his control. So, but that being said, when we talk about why something has happened, I actually think it's useful to go, uh, to go to some, uh, men who were gifted with common grace. And, and one that can't comes to mind is the philosopher Aristotle, uh, not a Christian, um, existed, uh, several hundred years before Christ in ancient Greece. And he discusses though, uh, different types of causes behind uh, events. So, you know, to give an example, he, he has four causes, four types of causes. Um, the first cause is material cause. So, for example, uh, if you, you know, we talk about your car, your car engine starting, right? And someone could say, well, that, that was caused by an explosion, by, you know, combining, igniting chemicals together. That is what the engine was. That is what the car is. And that's just purely just material stuff. You know, the bronze statue is made of bronze, comes from metal. Uh, then he would talk about the formal cause, right? What's the, what's the purpose or the form uh, that this 
event takes. So in the case of a, you know, a sculpture, it's not just bronze metal, it's, it's being formed into a particular image or shape or, or, or structure. And the same thing for a car engine, it's not just a random explosion, it's a repeated explosion in a controlled environment meant to generate energy. Okay, so that's the, that's the formal cause as to why the car moves, right? And then he would have the efficient cause. Basically, you know, the car runs because uh, the driver turned the key. Like someone could say, why is the car running? Well, I turned it on. I'm the efficient cause. I caused it to start in that regard, right? And then you have the final cause. You know, what's the reason for it to happen? What's the ultimate cause behind it? is uh, a desire for the driver to get from point A to point B. That's, you know, that's the big picture final cause there. And so, um, you know, take it for what it's worth. I do think it's helpful because it gives a different perspective of what causes something. So an example from scripture would be Isaiah chapter 10, where, um, where God through the prophet tells the people of Israel that he's going to discipline them with Assyria. So he's going to send the nation of Assyria and their army to come into the land of Israel and to uh, discipline them uh, and to plunder them. But then he says he's going to, after this is all over, punish the king of Assyria because the king of Assyria is doing this for the wrong reasons. He's coming into Israel with a boastful pride uh, attitude. Uh, as a conqueror, not because he loves the Lord and is actually trying to discipline Israel, but because he wants to be God in a way. So God's going to basically use Assyria as an instrument, and then he's going to go ahead and discipline uh, Assyria. So uh, again, God is the, is, the, is the wielder of the instruments. So kind of take that same concept <clears throat> and apply it to today, right? So what about this uh, coronavirus? And I would say that in some sense, you know, the material cause is microscopic organism that came out of uh, China, maybe as a result of poor or unwise economic and scientific practices, and has since spread uh, throughout the world. Um, and then it's continuing to spread through person-to-person uh, -person transmission, uh, touching, uh, coughing, you know, not, you know, not covering your mouth when you, when you sneeze or cough, um, not washing hands, things like that. So that is also a cause, you know, why is the virus spreading? Well, maybe our hygiene practices aren't, aren't the best, right? But then at the end of the day, there is a purpose, a reason behind why uh, this is happening, why God is allowing this <clears throat> or, 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 or why he has ordained this to happen in our culture and in the world. So, any uh, words or thoughts or input on that, Dylan, that you wanted to share? Well, I mean, it, 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 seems, it seems correct, certainly, to say that there could be, you could, you know, uh, for lack of a better phrase, you know, you can skin a cat a lot of different ways. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of different ways that you can splice causality. And I think, you know, the, the fourfold distinction that you offered is a, is a fair one. Um, you know, and I, I think the Bible has some of this tension too. You know, when you ask the question, you know, what role does God play in all of this? Like, what's the what cause does God have in mind? What's his purpose for kind of letting the coronavirus multiply in our in our time? Um, and there's a couple of different, you know, possible answers to that. You know, one um, you know one passage comes to mind where 
you know, there, there are instances in scripture when illness is the direct result of sin. And it could be an individual sin, it could be a community sin, it could be a national sin, it could be, you know, plenty of examples where illness is the result of sin at some level. Yeah. Um, there's also examples of illness where it's not the result of sin, but rather that God would be glorified through, um, you know, through, through the situation. So, you know, which is it in our case? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't pretend to know. What I do know is that, you know, how we as Christians, I think, would want to respond in a situation, you know, because it's not, you know, the, the hidden things are for the Lord, right? What's revealed is given to us and to our children. The hidden things belong to the Lord. So if it's hidden, that he has his purposes, and we trust that he has his purposes for letting something like this occur. You know, what is there for us to think on then, right? What's for us to think on is the promises that he has already given to us, the assurance that we have in Christ. Like, you know, we want to cling to though, you know, what we know, right? And what we know is ultimately grounded on a bloody hill, right? It's grounded in a cross. And so, you know, that is ultimately our comfort, right? We know that at the end of the day, God wins. We know that at the end of the day, God is going to get glory from this situation. God has the ability to heal. He does not have a, he does not give us a covenant promise that he will physically heal us, at least not this side of glory until we are one day, you know, raised again. So in the interim, you know, we're reminded of, quite frankly, our fragility. You know, we're reminded. We're reminded that we are human. We are reminded that one day we will all die. And in that sense, we're all equal. We're not ultimately in control. God is, right? And so we're reminded of our, in one sense, our smallness. But through all of that, the key thing is to trust the Lord, right? Psalm 37.3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. That's what we're to be doing, right? That's, we ultimately, in the midst of everything that's going on, like the key question is, are we trusting the Lord through it all? Come what may. Yeah, no, that's helpful. Um, and to your point, I, I agree that, uh, uh, you know, it's easy to jump to conclusions and say, well, you know, this must be because God is, is punishing us. And, and I'll get to my own personal v- views about that in a little bit, but I do want to first point out, um, even when we talk about suffering, we say, okay, well, why? And it's, you know, the, the first answer is, well, because Adam and Eve sinned, because we live in a fallen world. Um, that's why people die. That's why people get sick. That's why there's diseases and famines and all kinds of problems, right? Um, so, you know, and that's kind of cause number one. Adam and Eve basically messed things up for all of us. Um, and, but like you said, there are examples where uh, certain things like diseases are given as as punishment to Egypt uh, or to Assyria. Um, in fact, in Isaiah chapter ten, uh, God specifically says that it's wa- that He's going to send a wasting disease amongst the soldiers of the king of Assyria uh, to wipe to wipe out his his army after they're done uh, plundering and uh, and conquering Israel. So. Um, just again, God using that against a Gentile nation, a non-covenant nation. Um, and, and really, it's interesting is that God is only telling Israel that. He's telling Isaiah that. He's not telling Assyria. Uh, he's not warning Assyria, you know, watch out. Uh, you're going to get disciplined when you, when you, if you invade Israel. He's telling Israel, 
don't think that they're more holy than you because I'm letting them conquer you. That's not the case. So that's just something to keep in mind. Um, you have uh, suffering can also be a testing, okay? And that's usually of God's people. So, you know, the example of that is Job. You know, Job suffered because he was God's favorite, because he was righteous and God actually uh, picked him by name to, uh, to be the test, if you would. Uh, suffering can be a tool for discipline. So uh, even the Apostle Paul, when he talks about his, his thorn, he says that, um, let, me, let me bring up that passage real quick. Second Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 7. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So twice, Paul even says, the reason I got this from God is to actually prevent me from sinning, to keep me uh, from falling into uh, 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 boastfulness and pride. Um, and like you said, uh, Dylan, it can, it, uh, suffering can be used to testify to God's glory. John chapter 9 the man who was born blind. Uh, it wasn't that his parents sinned or that he sinned, but that uh, God would be glorified and mighty works of God displayed um, at that moment in time. So it's, it's interesting. Like the man had been born blind. He had all these years suffered from blindness for this purpose that Jesus would come and heal him and demonstrate this. Um, so yeah, he had to wait a while. That blind man had to wait a long time for this to happen, for, for, for God's glory to be made known through this event, but it, but it was. Um, so, and then of course, suffering, and I think this is probably the most relevant um, for us today. It can be used to expose sin and idolatry. So what I mean by that is suffering and pressure and discipline. I know people say that uh, tragedies and difficulties bring out the best in people. I actually think they just bring out people. They bring out the reality. They bring out the truth. Like people reveal their true natures, their true selves in these kinds of events. So we do see that God, uh, when he disciplines Israel and brings judgment, he exposes all of their sinful hearts and, and in fact, he does it by stripping away all of the idols that they trusted in. So, you know, it's not too different than a parent seeing that uh, a child is playing uh, very badly or very wrongly with a toy, uh, sinning with the toy. And then, you know, the parent says, okay, you have abused this item. You're misusing it. I'm going to take it away from you temporarily. And that's when you see the true heart of the child? How do they respond to uh, the discipline of a parent? Um, and so that's a momentary suffering, but it's meant to uh, reveal a heart of idolatry, a heart of sin. And I just, um, so anyways, all these different reasons for sin, and it's hard to figure out necessarily without God explaining it to you as to why it's, it's happening. Um, but I do think sometimes it's easy to see, <clears throat> you know, if if you go uh, robbing somebody and you end up getting shot because you broke into their home and they pulled a gun in self-defense and killed you uh, or, or just injured you, 
uh, I would probably say that your suffering is easily connected to your sin. You know, that's, that's pretty, uh, it's a pretty clean cut uh, example there. Um, or just, you know, just be, being addicted to drugs or, or just, you know, driving recklessly on the road uh, just for the thrills and the kicks of it. And you get into a car accident, you know, there's, there's things like that. It's unwise decisions that lead to uh, suffering. But a lot of times we just don't always know uh, why we were uh, afflicted with something. Um, so, you know, I do have a couple of rules of thumb that I want to share about that, but I want to, you know, turn over to you real quick, Dylan, any thoughts about those different types of sufferings or reasons for sufferings uh, there? Thoughts on that? Well, well, I think the taxonomy you gave earlier with the various analogous to this, right? Like there's a lot of different um, angles that somebody can look at something with, and it's not necessarily the case that it's uh, exclusively one. Uh, you can have a multifaceted explanation of a thing and, and multiple things be true at one time when it comes to the purpose uh, or the cause of, of an event. And I suspect that the same is true here. So while I'm not going to um, personally claim that I can pinpoint the cause, I can suggest with high levels of probability that God is doing a lot of things right now, a lot of things. And he's teaching, he's doing exactly what is optimal for him to be doing to receive glory for his glory and for the good of those who love him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I would agree with that completely. And I do think, I do think that we see a multiple uh, reasons or purposes behind this, um, this pandemic. So for, um, and I think, uh, what I want to do first is, is, uh, go to, um, well, before I go to the main scripture passages I want to look at today, I, I just want to say that, you know, for the church as, as, as Christians, uh, my, my conviction is that, um, when things like this happen, you know, we should ask ourselves, what is God trying to teach the church about uh, in this moment, right? You know, have we loved our neighbor well? Um, right now, we are not able to gather together in person. So is this, you know, have we appreciated or truly appreciated the gathering of God's people like we should have? You know, have we kind of been flippant about uh, in the past about the importance of corporate worship and now you know, God is maybe showing us like, hey, you know, now you can't gather like you should, you know, consider that. Um, there's examples in, in the Old Testament. Uh, I believe it is the book of, uh, of Joel, where the priests of God are lamenting because there's a famine in the land and they're actually unable to bring sacrifices into the temple. Like they're, they're wailing and they're, and they're, and they're grieving that they can't actually offer all of the required animal sacrifices because there's no food. But that, but that famine had been brought as judgment against them because of their sin. And God even says, like, you're, you're lamenting that you can't even worship me, but, you know, you, but it's all surface level worship. It's not even, your heart's never been in the right place. And that's why you're, you're in this place in the, in, at, at the first moment. But at the same time, you know, 
uh, to go to that uh, revealing of idolatry. I mean, just think about all the things that we've lost as a result of this virus and the, uh, uh, you know, the response that our society has given to it. We've lost all sports, you know, maybe that has been an idol in our lives and God has whoop, taken away temporarily money. You trust in your economy, you trust in, in your job and your wealth. Okay. We'll take that too. Um, entertainment or the ability to do what you want, freedom of movement, uh, freedom to do anything that you wanted to do without being confined to your home. We'll take that away too. So I just find it interesting that a lot of the things <clears throat> maybe, and we have to ask ourselves, have we uh, as individuals and as a culture um, uh, uh, put our trust and our hope and our comfort in those things rather than uh, in the right place in the Lord? And I, I just think that that is a, that is, those are questions that you can ask at any time in any circumstance of suffering. Like, that's why I think it's, it's applicable because these questions apply to all uh, examples. It's not just one specific example. Um, thoughts on that, Dylan, before I, I go to the passage I wanted to bring up? No, I'd say it's a passage. I completely agree. I think, you know, every situation that begets suffering and even situations where there's not suffering, those are good questions to ask, right? Am I making X an idol in my life? Um, you know, a, a mindful, self-reflective Christian who wants to pursue thinking God's thoughts after him will, you know, regularly ask those kinds of questions. And, you know, to the extent that the unbeliever is not asking those questions, it's always a good time to start. Uh, and sometimes what jostles us awake to our, to our humanity mm. and our fragility and, quite frankly, our impending death yeah. and our meeting our creator is moments of suffering and mm. you know that is you know if it's not you know, there's a lot of people suffering out there right now so it, you know if it's not too soon to talk of a bright spot in all of the tragedy you know one of the yeah, you know c.s lewis said this of war um mm. I, I forget the name of the essay that he that he gave he was given a lecture during world war one and he was reflecting on war you know he's like what does war do to death it doesn't make it more frequent. He's like, 100% of us die. You're not going to increase that percentage. He's like, it, it doesn't make us more ready to meet our maker because, you know, if, if getting, it doesn't make us less ready to meet our maker. Like if, if, if the prospect of dying, like of if, if dying on a battlefield where there's going to be, you have a relatively decent prospect of dying on a battlefield where there's little or no pain at all versus like suffering through mm -hmm. going through suffering unto death. He's like, you know, so it doesn't do that. He's like, what it does is it reminds us of it, right? It makes it so that we can't ignore it anymore. And he said that fact alone would have been seen by previous generations as one of its blessings, because in good times, only a wise person is aware of it. But he said, now the, now the most foolish among us knows that we can't ignore and we can't escape the reality of our mortality. And so one of the things that suffering does, I think, um, is reminds us of that, of, you know, of the fact that, you know, celebrities, like everybody's like, Tom Hanks got the coronavirus. You know what I mean? And everybody's like freaking out with Tom Hanks got it. And then this, this person got it. And that person got it. We're like, we're reading about these people in like e-magazine and headlines and stuff like that. And all of a sudden it's a big deal. <laughs> well, like, yeah, they're human. You know what I mean? And like, they're, they're in one, in that sense, just like the rest of us, we're all going to meet our maker. And that's, it's healthy for 
any culture to be reminded of that. And that we are reminded of it on a global scale is just a massive opportunity for um, just tremendous repentance and turning to God and just pleading with him for, for mercy. Because ultimately, you know, you know, when, when the tower in Siloam fell, right. And oh, Dylan, you're bringing up my, that's the first I'm going to, Oh, sorry, dude. I didn't even you read know. My mind. You read my mind. <laughs> what, well, what it fell, he's like, you know, what, uh, so anyway, I will, yeah, I'll I won't read it. No, you on that. You, you had, no, dude, dude, you did it right, man. <laughs> you did it right. I mean, that is exactly it. So I want to read this. This is like one of my favorite passages because it kind of is, I'm not going to, I just want to say like, it appears cold and, and it's surprisingly, it, it appears, and it can be surprising to people because it's coming from Jesus. Okay. And it, you know, he's normally, he's normally perceived as the, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild holding the little lamb. <clears throat> but he says something that if you were to say this publicly in the middle of this coronavirus, I really do think that you'd probably be banned from Twitter or Facebook. Like, I really do. Th- I really do think you would get so much hate mail if you were to say what he's about to say here. So let me, let me read this. Okay. Luke 13. It's only five verses. Luke chapter 13 verses one through five. All right. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So, <laughs> basically, the context here is that several people, he's, he's teaching, uh, is a lot of teaching going on. Uh, in the whole previous chapter, he was giving, he was talking to the crowds, okay? So, um, he was talking about, you know, the times and selling accounts with your accuser, um, you know, all kinds of don't be anxious. So, so he's talking to a crowd of people. <clears throat> and then I guess these, these, some of these people brought up to him this example of Pontius Pilate doing something pretty horrific, like mingling the blood of Galileans with sacrifices. So I just, I get this picture of Pilate being a, a little cruel and, executing some Galileans and mixing their blood with the sacrifices that they were going to make at the temple, which is pretty horrific. And so these people in the crowd are bringing this up and they, and it seems like they're suggesting that these Galileans must have been worse sinners because they suffered in this particularly horrible way, which is the same mindset that uh, Jesus' disciples had when they saw the man born blind, they were like, well, somebody had to sin, you know, either this man or his parents. And the same thing with Job's friends. Like they accuse him. It's like, Job, you must have sinned. This is the only reason why you're being suffered, suffered in this way. So anyways, the, the, the crowd is doing this to Jesus and they must've given him another example too, like the tower in Siloam. So I guess, you know, you have this tower, you know, poor engineering, bad design, whatever. It falls over, it kills 18 people. And I guess the idea is, well, uh, they must have had it coming. Like, they must have been some pretty wicked people, and God killed them by dropping a tower, 
you know, onto their heads, right? Um, so what we have here are two interesting examples because one is man-made evil, right? Pontius Pilate is doing evil things resulting in suffering. And then the second example is natural evil. This natural disaster or this tower just happens to fall and kills all these people. So Jesus is covering both examples here. You know, even if, you know, X person does horrible things to you, you know, rape, murder, you know, you know, just a persecute, just a torture, all kinds of things. That's one category of evil. And the other category is natural disasters. And, and Jesus in both cases says, you know what? They're not worse people than you are. And in fact, if you don't repent, you will likewise perish. <laughs> I mean, that's some pretty strong language to say to, to those folks like, yeah, you, you know what the answer is? You need to repent. So really, um, the, 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 the question isn't, the issue isn't so much, let's find out why God is allowing this to happen. Because then we'll, then we'll know uh, whether these people were evil or not. Like if I get the coronavirus or you get the coronavirus, you know, it must be that God judged you. And Jesus is basically saying, don't think like that. Because if you, unless you repent, you also will die. You know, and so it is humbling and it, and it basically levels everyone in the same playing field because these events of death, like you just said, Dylan, um, everyone is going to die. These people died a bit sooner than we would expect, but it doesn't matter because every example should bring to our mind, like, what do I need to repent of? Do I need to repent? Have I repented? And that is exactly the first thing that should come to our minds. And I think this example from Jesus is very clear. And I, I try to apply this personally as well. I mean, when I was sitting down here in the basement, um, wondering as to whether I had coronavirus or not, waiting for my test results, I was, I was praying to the Lord and you know, saying, you know, Lord, I don't know why this has happened or, or if this is, you know, this is the case, what, what you're trying to tell me here. But Lord, first, reveal in my heart, have I sinned against you or somebody else that I have not repented of and need to repent of? Like, you know, that might not be the reason why this is happening. You know, it could be, you know, it could be a Paul Storm moment. God is trying to keep me humble. It could be some other reason. But the point is, is like, I think a good starting point for anybody that's suffering is, you know, do I need to repent? Have I trusted in Christ? Am I Am I, am I sinning? Am I in sin that's not confessed? Um, and, you know, this just really reflecting on your own heart. And then from there, working to some of the other questions, you know, thoughts on that, that Dylan? Well, I think the exercise that you talk about going through is a very good one, a healthy one, and a natural one for, for Christians. You know, I don't think you know, earlier, you know, when, you know, the, the example here that we're drawing in Siloam, and I, I don't think you're saying, and I don't hear you to be saying that the, the untimeliness, the untimeliness of their deaths doesn't matter in any sense, right? It, it, because clearly, you know, uh, I mean, Jesus weeps when, when Lazarus oh, dies, yeah. right? So it, it, yeah. it hurts, it's painful. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are going through a lot of suffering and a lot of, a lot of family members who, who either have lost or, or very likely may well lose loved ones who are going through this and you know our it's an opportunity for us as the church to be there for them and to weep alongside those who weep yeah. um, but i think what i like what i hear you to be saying is in and it's in an absolute sense 
right? Just kind of taking the stakes up, raising the stakes a little bit. Jesus is saying here, like, hey, at the end of the day, um, you know, you too will perish, right? And so it's something to be mindful of and there's an opportunity to reflect, you know, as we said, on, on your mortality. And in light of that, he's saying, repent, because mm-hmm. everyone's time is going to come. Um, and that, that's, mm-hmm. you know, I say that with just an incredibly sober heart, because, you know, I think I've shared on this podcast, you know, I have been reflecting on my own mortality, you know, over the last couple of months. And it's just been a very, very sobering experience. Um, and it just puts a lot of things into, into perspective, you know? Um, so, you know, it's on the one hand, we, it's like the near term mission, like the near term mission critical thing is to, you know, we should be as much as as possible. Um, you know, let's build hospitals, let's bring food to the groceries to the elderly. If we're able to volunteer, if we're able to assist, if we're able to be, uh, the hands and feet of, of the church, let's do it. You know, let's continue to bless people in those ways and, and love people and, and, you know, set up little hospitals outside of, uh, outside of, um, you know, in New York city, um, and elsewhere. That's, that's a beautiful thing in, and at the same time, in the name of Christ though, absolutely all day in the name of Christ. Um, at the same time, always remembering that all of this is still ultimately relativized by the fact that everyone who we help is still in need of, of, of repentance. It's like, so as a Christian, right? I yeah. think here's one way I've heard it explained that I think has been helpful for me. You know, we want, like our goal, one of our goals is to relieve suffering, all suffering, both temporal and eternal. Yes. Right. So we don't necessarily want to lose either of those polarities because they both matter. Scripture holds them both out as things for us to be concerned with. Um, mm-hmm. And so we, we don't want to neglect either, ideally. Yeah. And that means, though, that sometimes the hard thing is to tell people and to encourage people to repent. Now, mm-hmm. that yeah. means, though, that repent from what is the question? And, and that's where bringing out, pointing out sin, uh, explaining God's law, or, or, or just making it known to them, like, this is what I'm talking about. Like, <clears throat> this is why, <clears throat> this is what you need to repent of. If you're going to repent, it needs to be from something to something else. So from a life of X, sin, idolatry, whatever, to Christ, to the Holy One. Right um, now, this is true. I would say uh, because God does uh, judge and bless on an individual level, family level, and national level. I mean, it's covenantal, right? So, I mean, you know, just even the promise to Abraham, like through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, and the idea there being, um, I do believe that nations, as a corporate whole, and it's hard to flesh that out because we're so individualistic minded. But I mean, I think we all get the idea of, of corporate responsibility and corporate uh, repentance. I mean, if, I mean, goodness gracious, if, if we declare war against, uh, um, you know, a nation like Russia or China tomorrow, you know, if Congress does that, every single citizen is at war, whether you like it or not, you are part of it. It's covenantal. 
it's corporate. You don't get to say that um, you're not at war because you didn't vote for that guy. That's not how it works. <laughs> so um, anyways, um, so and I think, you know, just like an individuals should reflect on their own life and repent, or they will likewise perish, um, so should nations also reflect and, re- and, and repent, or they will likewise perish. And I do think that there are things that as a nation we should repent of. And I think they go without saying. I mean, I think it's quite obvious if you just look at our culture, what we're all about and the things that we're doing with regards to marriage or, 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 or gender or sexuality or uh, the unborn children. Like there's a lot of things I think we can repent of. Um, and again, it's not to say that necessarily this virus is only because of sin, but we do know that God has a tendency of using these things to bring discipline and, and, and judgment and awareness of sin to nations, not just, not just his covenant people, but also non-covenant people, Gentiles, Assyria, Nineveh, you know, things like that. And at the end of the day, this, the, 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 the command is still repent, like repent of your sins. So as Christians, I think that uh, we should certainly do our part in repenting of our own sins, um, starting with ourselves, but then as we relieve suffering, as we love our neighbors, also reminding them that this is not the end. There's actually judgment to come. This is nothing compared to that. So now is the time to repent and be saved. Like now is the time. Um, and so that kind of leads into the importance of evangelism during this time. And I think this is a, an opportunity for the church to shine. I mean, would you, you have any thoughts on that or agree with that, Dylan? I, I agree with all that, though I would I would issue a, a caution um, just to for for the benefit of listeners. You know, there was I remember when um, when nine eleven happened, there was a, a very um, famous preacher um, who shall remain nameless to to protect him, uh, who immediately you know right, you know shortly after the the towers collapsed, um, you know got he had a very big megaphone and got in front of the camera and denounced Muslims and feminists and homosexuals for the sin that God was now judging us for, for that. And, you know, there was a lot of public clamor about it and that quickly drove this particular preacher to, to apologize. Um, In light of this passage in Luke 13, I think he almost got it right. Right. And I think where he fell short and where there's, and this is the caution, right? Where there's Mm -hmm. risk for us to fall short when we talk about, you know, it's, you know, it might be obvious what the particular sins of a culture are. Um, The the danger that this particular chap fell into was he, he he denounced sins that he particularly disliked. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of other sins that might not be as readily apparent to, you know, those who, you know, might fall on on similar sides of the worldview aisle that nevertheless might might also be like mm-hmm. we want to be repentant of of sin writ large and that can take all kinds of forms and so one of the one of the things we just want to be watch, want to just watch out for and i'm not saying you're doing this i just i give this as an encouragement to our listeners is yeah you know, be careful not to just denounce the sins that you particularly dislike 
and and that and that goes for that goes for any side of the of whatever worldview aisle you fall on. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have plenty of friends who who are on the the more left leaning, the socially left leaning angle of things, who make everything reduce almost everything to a, a particular sin or a particular issue mm-hmm. or two or three particular issues. And you know, a lot of friends on the other side rightly challenge them on that to say, look, a lot of this is a little more complex than that, or the the history is is multifaceted and the explanations therefore are multifaceted. Um, I think the same caution I would give to a friend on on the right side of the aisle, you know, who who maybe was quick to denounce, um, you know, certain types of sins that they uh, are particularly uh, cognizant of. Yeah. You know, we all we all have blind spots, and that's one of the things are like. You know, it's just healthy practice, I think, as Christians to make <laughs> repentance regular practice. And when we, you know, when we talk about repenting corporately to make that as just comprehensive as possible. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree. Um, you know, you can't necessarily say, well, it's just you don't just you can't cherry pick the sins and just pick your favorites. Um so what I ha- found to be helpful is understanding that not that all sins separate from God. That is true. And all sins, even the smallest sin, uh, leads to, you know, God's judgment. You know, God, you know you're, you're a sinner and uh, you'll be judged for it uh, when you stand before God uh, on the final day. But there, do- there does seem to be a gradation of sins in scripture um some sins are considered to be abominations other sins are not um the nations of canaan they were judged they were kicked out of the land they were vomited out of the land for particular sins but it wasn't things like cutting the corners of your beard you know israel was told don't sow your fields with two kinds of seed you know and it would have been a sin for israel to do that but the Canaanite nations were kicked out for other reasons. Some of the broader sins, if you will, uh, the, uh, the, the child sacrifices and the temple prostitution, um, the cannibalism, um, some of the, the graver sins, right? And just like even the New Testament, there are sins that lead to death and there are sins that don't lead to death, right? So, um, uh, I so I guess what I'm trying to say is we want to avoid also the Pharisaical route of, of, you know, neglecting the weightier matters of the law, you know, like yeah, if you think that we need to repent of, you know, using too many plastics, um, and having and having plastic straws and not paper straws, if you think that's a sin, um, but you know we're neglecting some of the weightier matters of the law, you know, again, let's say unborn children, um. Uh, that might be a problem. Like, I do think that there is a gradation there. And I think we can, I think it wouldn't be wrong for us to maybe do a running list in our minds of some of the big, you know, even pick a top 10 list, top 10 abominable toeva, that's the Hebrew word for abomination, uh, abominable sins uh, in our culture that we as a culture should repent of. And we should have been repenting of this long before anything happened. I mean, God has given us, decades to repent of these sins. He's been so long suffering. And even now he's long suffering. I mean, this is not the bubonic plague. I mean, it could be way worse. And I think God is merciful at, we're not being invaded by a foreign enemy. We're not being conquered. You know, we're not seeing 
you know, what, you know, what happened during World War II or even World War I, you know, or anything like that. So God is merciful. And I think that even now, again, now is a time to repent. And what do you need to repent of? Your sins. Well, what are they? List them out. Start listing out your sins as individuals. List out your sins and repent of them, confess them, and encourage others to do the same and, and our culture to do it culture-wide. Does that seem fair to you, Dylan? It, it does. I, I, I would be just as eager as you are to denounce an equivocation of all sins culturally. Um, but I think the I think the caution still stands, right? Which oh, sure. is you know one of the first sins that comes to mind for a lot of people is not necessarily no fault divorce. It's not no, necessarily why... you know un- undercutting the uh, the the value of our currency, right? No, by, no. by no right. So there's there's a whole host of things that yeah. culturally don't typically come first to mind for those who on either side of worldview aisle are going to denounce uh, you know particular sins. So I just, I, I still want to, I, I hear what you're saying about the gradation and I agree with you there. Uh, certainly there are, there are weightier matters of the law, um, but I still want to preserve that, that caution. It's just, oh, yes, yeah. but be mindful that there may be weightier matters of the law that don't necessarily come first to mind. And that could be true for, for any of us. Uh, yeah. and, and so to the extent that that's true, broad scale repentance is what is needful because there have been, yeah. you know, a lot of, you know, I, there are plenty of examples of, um, you know, community-wide, very severe punishments uh, that come at the uh, due to sins that, as we read them with a 21st century Westernized lens, seem to us extreme. But to you know, in in, a, in other contexts historically, might not have seemed as extreme. So God's standards across the board are just mm-hmm. so high, and He's holy, and, and just brooks no unholiness uh, in in that sense. And so, yeah. there's always room, I think, for oh, sure. for repentance. No, I, I agree. Um, I'm not trying to say that you you ignore like a good analogy I found is a, a military style analogy, like you know, a war where the front is, you know, you've been losing ground. So let's say that. Uh, you know, that no-fault divorce thing, that was several decades ago, but that was a major defeat. I mean, I mean, goodness gracious, Roe v. Wade was 50 years ago. That was a major defeat, right? So um, you don't ignore or, or disregard those weighty matters of the law that happened several decades ago. Um, but just like in a, in a war, um, as the front moves, you know, and let's say you're now several hundred miles uh, uh, back from where you started. And, you know, today you're fighting a battle and you're like, man, you know, we just lost that battle yesterday. That was a really big battle. We should have we done it differently at that battle. And then, you know, the old chief comes up to you and says, you know, uh, two years ago we were uh, 100 miles to the west. And there was a huge battle that we lost there that we, if we had not lost that battle, we wouldn't be in the position that we are today if we had done that battle right. So, um, so, at, so on one hand, yeah, you're only seeing right now the battles that are right in front of you, the artillery coming in right here, right now, and the more immediate battles. But in a long campaign, um, the battles in the past actually matter too. 
And you don't want to forget those lessons learned. You can't forget that. And you know what? And the, and the chief would be like, you know what? Let's win this battle first and let's push the, let's, let's take the land back and let's, 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 you know, we can get that, you know, we can get the front back that hundred. It's incrementalism. Yeah. yeah. You're talking about incrementalism. That's yeah. But I, I, I don't think, I don't think that, so I, I think that, I think incrementalism is a, is pragmatic. But I think in an absolute sense with respect to God's holiness, I don't think he plays the pragmatism game. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think he plays. And I, I know you agree with that. That's why I'm not necessarily saying that as if like arguing against you. I just think that, you know, when we talk about God's holiness and repentance, you know, for all practical intents and purposes, yeah, we have to play the incremental game on a lot of these fronts. Um, but as it relates to God's holiness and those sins for which corporate repentance would be called for in that sense, it's like, yeah, bring out all the stops, right? All the things that we can think about. Mm -hmm. Every opportunity missed for the church to do something good mm -hmm. uh, in, in society. Mm -hmm. All the opportunities missed by mm -hmm. the church to, to do A, B, and C. And believe me, I am not one to throw the church, Christ's bride under the bus. I'm not doing that. I think, I think absolutely the church is Christ's bride and has a, a, a lot of, a lot of yeah. due respect <laughs> as such. I do think that, you know, the church should be the first to ask, as, as, you, as you did and, and you shared in your own personal experience, you know, Lord, what are those, where are those places where I can repent? And what are those, what are those things I might've missed? Yeah. Uh, teach me, Lord. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and, yeah. Yeah. well I was just saying, like, I, I also kind of triage it too. I mean, that's what I meant by incrementalism. I do think God allows, I mean, yes, his standard is his standard, but um, at the same time, God shows great mercy. Like, you know, when you became a Christian, you did not live perfectly the moment you became a Christian. And sometimes it took, it took years for me to get free from some of the sins that I had been involved with. Um, and, and so even for me, like when I repent or, or confess my sin, like I think about, okay, what are some of like, like I needed, I can't do everything necessarily right now. I'd love to, to sanctify, to be sanctified immediately tomorrow. But, you know, if I had to blow up at my kids, you know, I need to think, okay, what, what is something like today needs to be different than yesterday? So what did I do really bad yesterday that I need to really uh, pay very close attention to and, and, and fight against that sin today? Like, you know, it's kind of like that exercise routine. You know, I start out with 100 pounds and then maybe next week I'm going to lift 110 and then 120. So I don't. I'm not trying to, you know, say that God is a pragmatist, but I do think that there's that concept of growth and maturity and strengthening that God does allow and honestly designed us to experience um, in this life. Is would that be fair to say? I think it's fair to say. I, I think it. I think that. I think that concept applies for covenant community. And for covenant people, I don't know that the same applies for non-covenant community and non-covenant people. So when we talk about the nation, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't think of the nation as a covenant community, right? And so for that reason, I would not necessarily apply the same sanctification angle to uh -huh. it. I would, I would think more justification, right? What we need is just you need, you need a, a change yeah. in status. Yeah, you need a, you, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you need to be united with Christ before we can. You need to be, can, you need to be counted perfect before you can take any first steps before getting any closer to being good that's true you need to be counted perfect before you get anywhere near good yeah and and for for that reason you know when we talk about like national repentance and a lot of it still for me is gonna and that's probably why i 
I'm more, I'm, I'm more insistent that the, the gradation of sin not play such a heavy role as it pertains to calling the nation to repentance is because when we're dealing with the unregenerate, any sin is warranted uh, hell and, and, and death and damnation. And for that reason, I would say, you know, no matter where, because there is a gradation, I think that's clear from scripture. Um, but to the extent that we're dealing with the unregenerate, you know, yeah. that's, that, that is a very broad call for repentance to be like yeah. nation, you know, nationally, we're not dealing with the covenant people. Yeah. Man, you, you cut down that person with your tongue just now on social media. You know what I mean? And so r- repent, you know what I mean, oh, friend, yeah. and and, yeah. and become a brother and be reconciled to your God. Yeah, absolutely. I think evangelism yeah. is going to be key in this. Yeah. Um, you know, we have an opportunity to do it. We have an opportunity not, not only to love our neighbor, which we should do, help get the groceries, take care of some lawn maintenance or or offer to help, you know, you know, following the guidelines, but still trying to help, calling them, texting them, you know, whatever the case may be, praying for them, of course. Um, but at the same time, encourage, like tr- having that conversation. Um, and one thing I find to be interesting, and because, um, and I don't want to spend too long talking about apologetics. I, I do want to have uh, uh, maybe an episode about a, a, a different apologetic methods, but. I find a good technique is, you know, the sword and shield method. Okay. Sword and board is, is another way to, way to phrase it. And what I mean by that is that on the one hand, you give a defense for the Christian worldview. You give a defense for Christ. Like here is Christ. I present Christ to you. But then the sword technique is more polemics. Like your worldview that you currently hold, your, your beliefs actually are very very on sand they're they're weak they are not a sturdy foundation for you to even explain what's happening here and i'll just give one example um when i reflect on this virus okay we know it affects a lot of people it can it can it can infect anybody but it tends to be more fatal for those who are older and those who have certain variety of weaknesses, whatever the case may be. It could be autoimmune disorders. It could be a smoking habit or weak lungs or whatever the case may be, right? Liver disease or heart disease or lung disease, right? Um, Okay. So I'm trying to think in the mind, put on the thinking cap of if I was an atheist, if I held to naturalistic evolutionary theory, what does that theory teach me? It teaches me that everything is random, okay? There's really no purpose to anything that happens. There's no such thing as good or evil, really, at the end of the day. It's just each organism is trying to pass on the strongest genes to the next generation. And nature selects um, the weak to be weeded out through natural selection. It's just the, the way it is, right? That's a purification process, okay? Well, it's I. my question for the atheist who really believes that is how comes you're upset about the coronavirus? Like, why don't you, why wouldn't you embrace this as the, as the ultimate example of mother nature at work? 
Like that is, if you really do believe in natural selection, this is nature doing its job, like purging the species of the weak and the, and the most vulnerable and the least, you know, the, the biggest drain, if you will, quote unquote, drain on society. Now, of course, I don't hold to that position because it's cold and it's dark and that is harsh, but that's the worldview that evolutionary theory gives you. And I'm so thankful that a lot of atheists and unbelievers are not consistent. They say they hold to that, but at the end of the day, they do recognize that it's not good <laughs> for um, all these people to die. You know what I'm saying? That's not a good thing. But the question that you can ask uh, kind of to maybe get them to think about their own perspective is, why is it not a good thing from your hmm. atheistic perspective? And then say, oh, by the way, as a Christian, I believe in everyone made the image of God, so they all have value. I can explain why we should care for the elderly, for the vulnerable, and for the weak. You can't explain that from your evolutionary perspective, but I can. And in fact, you're borrowing from my Christian worldview to defend protecting the lives of these weak and the vulnerable. So that's my, my, my brief ex example there of how to, how to kind of probe um, the um, other person's point of view, get them to think critically about it, and then present to them the Christian worldview. Thoughts on that, Dylan? Yeah, so I, so I think if we had a third party here right now who yeah. were an atheist, right? Um, <laughs> and I'm, so at the, at the end, so I think what you just articulated is the truth that is ulti like ultimately you're, you are right. I think if we had an atheist here right now with us, they would object, uh, you know, obviously they would object and they, they would have, have a, they have, and they'd have a number of arguments about sure. why that's not right. Right. Um, and the Christian would then object and they have a number of arguments about yeah, why yeah. that's not right. So if you're just playing out that, just play out that debate. I'm not saying we're going to do that right here, right now. No, no, no. But if, if someone were to play out that debate where the atheist gives a counterpoint to what you just said, and then counterpoint, 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 at the end of the day, your point wins that back and forth. Now, and now let's, now let's play this in reverse, right? Let's say mm -hmm. the atheists were accusing you and I of, uh, you and me, learn some grammar, Dylan. <laughs> um, let's say the atheists were accusing you and me of something very similar. And the atheist said, um, you know, you guys really have a cold worldview because you believe in a God that foreordained all this suffering that shows, like at least I as an atheist don't believe that there's any purpose behind this, you know, or, or maybe at least not any ultimate sense of purpose. There's still purpose to the individuals who are suffering, but there's no ultimate purpose. You have even worse. You believe there's an ultimate purpose, yeah. that there's a God who's doing all this, and yet there's still this suffering, and there's a sovereign God behind it. Oh, and I'm supposed to believe that God is loving. Okay, so let's take that. Yeah. And, you, and let's say we were going to argue that side of it, back and forth, point, counterpoint, 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 counterpoint. Okay, play that chess game in your mind. Yeah. Who wins that is, again, the Christian, right? Who wins that is God, quite frankly. It's scripture. It's the, it's the Christian worldview that's rooted in just historic Augustinian theism, mm -hmm. you know, Trinitarianism, like <laughs> Calvin, like through and through at the end of the day, who wins that is the, yeah. is the Christian 
who holds to the historic tenets of the faith. Now, it's it's I'm I feel kind of bad just stating it that bluntly because you know for the benefit of listeners, some you know might have an atheist listening to this be like, oh well, yeah, that's cheap. I'll just tell you that I win all day, right? But like. <laughs> I, I, you know, hey, we can have on an atheist guest to kind of hash some of this out if, if it came to that. But like, I can just share, I, I'll share for me personally, I can't speak for everyone. Um, I, I, it seems clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. Like the more you play out all the possible points, counterpoints, you know, go listen to Sam Harris, go listen mm-hmm. to uh, Dawkins, go listen to old tapes from Chris Hitchens, like go listen to these guys and, and then listen to the counterpoints. Mm-hmm. And listen to these guys, listen to counterpoints. And consistently, and it's not about who's a better debater. That's not the issue. Mm-hmm. The issue is that God's truth stands supreme and with the word in hand, every thought can be take, must be taken exactly. captive for yep. Christ. Every thought. Yeah. And that is what, that's what happens. Like that's, you play out. You follow the road towards, towards truth, and it's just paved with Bible. That's, it's just paved with Bible um, and ultimately leads you to, to Christ. And I'm, not, and I'm not saying that, like, you know, it's not an evidentialist uh, approach to truth at all, because the irony is when you get to the end of that road, you discover that you kind of knew <laughs> that that was where it was going to lead all along, because— you mm. have eternity stamped on mm. you, listener. You know what I mean? Like you're made in God's image. You you can suppress the truth. Yes. You can hold yes. that. Like we said before, you can hold that beach ball down all day, but that beach ball wants to come up, and some and a day is going to come, even if it's a, on one's deathbed, mm. where uh, that that beach ball comes up. And even if it's not at one's deathbed, even if it's after that, yeah, then that beach ball comes. Every up. knee will so, bow. Yeah, exactly. Every knee is going to bow. Like that's how that all plays out. And, you know, just like the more, I hate to put it this way, this is going to sound so like not nice, but like, (laughs) you hate being not nice. You hate being not nice. I do. I really do. Cause I, I want to be nice. And like, if we had, if we were actually dialoguing, I shouldn't, I'm not going to say it that way. If we were, if we're actually dialoguing with an atheist and there might be some atheists out there listening, so I'm not going to put it the way I was going to put it, but like, um, yeah, like I'll just put it this way: the older I get, the clearer that perspective is to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like the less, the less tenable mm-hmm. any kind of atheistic world. Like I can't, I can't square any kind of atheist arguments that don't end in me somehow sawing off the epistemic branch on which I'm sitting. Yeah. I, I, you just can't, I can't avoid that. And, yeah. and maybe there's somebody out there who can and, and or thinks they can and, and by all means, you know, share. But yeah. I, mean, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, no. But but maybe we will try to have a an atheist. I know a couple who might want to come on the podcast. I don't know if they'd want to submit themselves to that. But anyways, um, you know, we don't want to go off too much on a tangent, but I just found that to be, you know, I'm trying to to get our Christian listeners to just think about ways in which, you know, they can try to evangelize and bring out, um, you know, if the topic's going to be on this virus, use that topic to point to Christ. It doesn't necessarily mean you use our techniques. It doesn't necessarily mean that you bring out, 
evolutionary theory, but use the topic and 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 bring it bring it to the Lord. I mean, and present that for present Christ to them, and call them to repentance. So, um, Amen. Yeah, hopefully uh, that's 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 really helpful. Um, and the and the last thing I wanted to say before I'll give you the last word, Dylan. We can wrap it up. Um, you know, I didn't mention this earlier, but kind of like when I'm suffering through anything at all, however minor, however big, I mentioned before that the first thing I do is, is, is think about repentance and confession, right? And then I kind of use the model, and this isn't required, but I, I think it's a, good, it's a good pattern that we see in scripture and, and, you know, and also in the case of Paul, ask for deliverance. You know, you, 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 you repent of sin, confess sin, pray for deliverance. God, please take this from me. Okay, maybe he says no, maybe it doesn't happen, kind of like in Paul's case. You know, Paul asked three times. Um, ask for wisdom, Lord, what should I do? You know, okay, let's say that no, it doesn't get taken from you. Okay, what, Lord, how do I act? What should I do? How do I live with this, with this event, with this suffering, with this thing? And then the last thing is perseverance. Lord, give me the strength to persevere, to honor you, to glorify you, in the midst of this until you see fit to either remove it or bring me home, you know, and that's, so it's kind of like, you know, confession, ask for deliverance, pray for wisdom, ask for perseverance kind of thing. I guess that's just my technique. It's not explicitly given in scripture, except for maybe the repentance part, but uh, you know, you can kind of piecemeal it. I think they're all in scripture, but that particular order, I don't think is necessarily laid out uh, in the text. Um, but I want to turn it over to you to, for final thoughts on that before we close it out. Yeah, I would just encourage listeners, you know, if, if you're out there listening and, and you are, um, you're, not, you're not a Christian. Um, well, I, I mean, let's say you're an atheist. We were talking earlier about atheists. I mean, probably the most consi- intellectually consistent and rigorous atheist there, there has been, at least to my knowledge, is Friedrich Nietzsche. Mm. And, and, you know, like if, if, the Bible can stand up to some of the charges that with the true intellectual honesty that he brought to those discussions. Um, then I, I mean, I, I think that's pretty, that's a pretty impressive test case. I, I think if you're out there listening and you're an atheist and you're kind of wondering, um, you know, what's, what does a Christian say about the coronavirus? You know, I think that a lot of the passages that we touched on and some of the points of discussion we touched on earlier, um, hopefully, are at least a step in helpful directions for, for how we might think through some of those issues. Um, it's not an exhaustive, uh, it's not an exhaustive articulation of it. Um, but I would, I would point you to, to Christ for that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think the main takeaway, you know, I, I really like where Eric, where you brought this, which is evangelism. I think the main takeaway is if you're, if you're listening to this, you're not a Christian. Um, the coronavirus is, among other things, a call to repentance. And it's an opportunity, you know, it's an opportunity. If you're, if you're breathing, if you're above ground and you're still alive, you, you know, do not wait. Uh, you know, don't wait till, till, till it's tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Do it today. Do it while he's near, because he is near. And it's, don't squander an opportunity to, to repent would be, my encouragement. And if you're out there listening to this and you're a Christian, you know, either you, you may be suffering, maybe you, you've contracted the coronavirus, maybe you have loved ones who have contracted the coronavirus, or maybe you haven't, you know, maybe your family just 
is is quarantined and and praise the Lord safe uh, for the time being. Um, also, praise the Lord for that. Um, I think in the midst of this uncertainty, you know, one of the things we want to try to avoid, if possible, is letting this drive us into anxiety mm-hmm. or fear. Um, you know, this is this is not the time to throw caution to the wind. Now, I'm not saying that. It's not the time to you know, necessarily get together with all your friends and, you know, go on a cruise, right? Like, definitely not saying that. Um, But I am saying that, you know, like we talked about earlier, this, we want to bring an eternal lens and perspective to what's going on around us. And part of how we do that is by knowing that at the end of the day, God wins. Christ has already one, the resurrection has already secured your future, Christian, and you're united with Christ. And so nothing can separate you from his love. No coronavirus or you know, contracting that, no sickness, neither sickness nor death, right, is going to separate you from, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So um, be encouraged. Don't throw, we're not throwing caution to the wind. You know, still uh, I do think, and this might be another podcast for another time, but I do think in this situation, it is appropriate to obey our governing, governing authorities and to, you know, insofar as it's, uh, insofar as you're able, stay home. Um, don't gather in groups. Um, you know, so there's, I know with it, I don't intend to open up a can of worms right at the end there, oh, but I, I, I would encourage, you know, um, stay home, stay safe, um, do social, practice social distancing as much as it's possible. And, um, you know, Lord willing, when there is a return to some semblance of normalcy, um, even then, we want to keep that same perspective, right? That at any time, something like this could happen, because ultimately God is sovereign. And we need to be leaning on his mercies, no matter the situation Mm -hmm. we're in. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, thank you for that, Dylan. And uh, uh, again, for those of you uh, tuning in, uh, please, if you want to contact us or, or email us, just go to the website, um, uh, org, or email us at uh, the2guysinthebible.podcast.gmail.com. Uh, so uh, again, thank you for joining us. And again, Dylan, thank you for uh, uh, coming in on a, on a Zoom conversation with me uh, and making this possible. So uh, until uh, until next time... Uh, Take care and God bless. God bless you.